Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 8 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week's movie has been on our list for a while, but it also just happens to coincide with the world's lately struggles of virus and pandemic, Wreck from 2007. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we created this drink to pep you up during an all-night quarantine. This episode will contain some discussion and mention of the COVID-19 coronavirus. So if that's something that you need to not listen to today, feel free to skip this episode. So I made this drink. Yeah, you did. Um, Originally, the thinking was just to use like a really basic cocktail because we don't have that much stuff here and we can't go out to get stuff. And I was like, no, that's not the mood and theme of the movie. The mood and theme isn't to just put up with what you have and accept (laughs) it. The mood and theme of the movie is to take what you have and try to work with it. Yes, true. So what I ended up doing is making like, I'm going to say one of the fanciest cocktails I've made. Not the most complex, but one of the like, mm, just... Just a real fancy, dark, smoky room. It does feel, I said, the first thing I said when I sipped it was like, this feels like something we would get at Tuck. Like, hell yeah. Fancy, nice craft cocktail. And I used the shaker that your dad made for us. (gasps) Nice. It has our logo on it. It does. As do these cups. It's real classy. Thanks, dad. Uh, So this week's cocktail is using... Woods Amaro. We used their uh, barrel-aged one in a previous episode, but this yep. is the non-barrel-aged one. Okay. So it's younger. Young, just like me. Hell wink. yeah. Um, and it's... <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting because uh, as I s- scrounged around for resources to make this cocktail, I came across uh, tea that I bought you for Christmas. And it's a juniper tea. You put Christmas tea? Hell yeah. Oh, that's why I love it. So this is actually mostly a mix between Amaro and juniper tea. Okay. Makes it just real fucking classy. It's really woodsy then. Hell yeah. Which goes with the wood spirit go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then there's other cocktail components to make it more cocktail-y. And it's got a a bit of um, bubbly in it to Mm. make it more vibrant and awake. Really bring out all those flavors. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot to get you, like I said, pepped up to uh, to survive an all night quarantine. I wonder if there's caffeine in that tea. Uh, no, it's specifically caffeine free, oh. but I'm sure you can get a caffeine full juniper tea considering <laughs> it's a black tea. Yeah. So not quite. I'm sorry I didn't have the exact right chemical components to put into this drink, but. Um, <laughs> but it's really, you're right, though. It does. There's something about it. It's very refreshing as you sip it. Mm-hmm. It's like a summer drink. Even though Amaro is like a Negroni, it's a it's technically like a Negroni, but it's brighter and more vibrant. I also like that it has a real aftertaste. Mm. Like the first, you sip it and it's sweet. And then as it goes down your throat, your tongue is left with this bitterness. Yeah, I think that's definitely good way. Amaro. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I can I can taste the juniper and other things because normally you'd use like flower bitters in a drink. Right. But I thought a tea is a drink. Why yeah. not put tea in it? Mad Labs has bitters now. Oh, yeah. I want them. I really need them. We mentioned that last episode, I think. But I need I need Scott, them. In my house. I keep seeing you post about your bitters, <laughs> please. <laughs> so, yes, this uh, the name of this drink is. Are you ready? I am ready. We'll make it to tomorrow. It's like, we'll make it <laughs> to, tomorrow. to tomorrow. Yeah. We'll survive the night. That's nice. Yes. It's that's a very really, in- <laughs> that's such a Kelly name for a cocktail. 
Well, what did you for Terror Train? It was like Choo Choo Champagne or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is a very char name for a drink. So we just have to start doing more puns, I think. <laughs> we'll make it to tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. I'll probably have this drink tomorrow, too. Amaro? Yeah. yeah, I've still got a lot of tea left, so... I don't know. We'll see. So this week we watched Wreck, which premiered in Spain on November 23rd, 2007. It's written and directed by Jome Balaguero. I'm going to apologize in advance if I butcher these names. I myself, I'm not Spanish, but I'm doing my best. It's written and directed by Jome Balaguero and Paco Plaza. Also written by Luis Berdejo. And it's starring Manuela Velasco as TV program reporter Angela, Ferran Terraza as fireman Manu, and Javier Coromina as the voice of camera operator Pablo. I don't know if you said them right, but they definitely sounded good. So Thank you. Yeah. I tried very hard. It's like uh, there's the one woman in the movie that clearly Spanish wasn't her first language. Yes. But I was like, even as she says Spanish, to me, it sounds, sounds right. Like it has the perfect accent. <laughs> Doesn't sound broken to Kelly's ears. Yeah. <laughs> We have a submission for the synopsis. Yay. Let's play that. It's actually a written submission. I know. It was a joke. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to be reading it. Or do you want to read it? Uh, I no. think we should put you to the test. No. Are you sure? <laughs> that would be a very long segment of me stumbling <laughs> over words that I haven't read yet. Okay. Uh, well, this is submitted by Sharky. longtime listener. longtime fan. Woo. Hi, Sharky. And actually, he was really excited about us doing this. I think he submitted it as a recommendation a while ago. A recommendation? Ha! 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 So, sorry, that was such a funny noise. Um, so, yeah, he uh, wrote our synopsis. So, here we go. At a local fire station, television host Angela Vidal interviews the firefighters for a docuseries, Mientras Dure. Oh, God, I didn't know there was going to be Spanish in this. Mientras duermes, while you're asleep. As Angela and the crew explore the station and conduct interviews, she offhandedly hopes for the alarm to sound. She soon gets her wish and the crew rush to the scene, an apartment building. As they pass the concerned neighbors, an older policeman explains that a reclusive elderly woman had been screaming bloody murder. They find her drenched in blood upstairs. And as Angela instructs cameraman Pablo to keep filming, she pounces on the policeman, biting into his neck. Chaos follows as the crew return to the lobby, discovering that the health authority has sealed the building. Bickering follows, but is cut short by the body of Alex, a young firefighter, falling from an upper floor. As everyone rushes upstairs to find out how he fell, the young policeman commands Pablo to stop filming. But a defiant Angela follows them upstairs, only to witness the shooting of the elderly woman from earlier. They soon learn that all possible exits have been blocked and covered with plastic sheeting and tensions reach fever pitch among Angela and Pablo, the other firefighter Manu and the young policeman. Returning to the first floor, Angela interviews the various neighbors who allude to recent illnesses among a dog and an older man upstairs. Back in the lobby, a doctor in full hazmat gear enters and makes his way to the bitten men. Filming through a gap in the parting wall, Pablo witnesses the bitten men rise and attack. The doctor Manu and the young policeman flee, leaving medical intern Guillaume to his fate. When clear of the infected men, the doctor explains that the dog that was mentioned by Jennifer, the young child, and her mother in their interview had shown virus symptoms. All eyes fall on the pair right as Jennifer vomits blood onto her mother and flees upstairs. 
Their numbers continue to dwindle as the policeman and doctor are bitten and a mad scramble to the top floor ensues to escape the infected. The entire population of the bedil- of the bedilding of the bedildil. <laughs> the entire population of the building now having succumbed. They reach the top floor apartment thought to be empty, but is soon found to be filled with articles on demonic possession and medical records. Through an audio recording, they hear that the source of the infection, a young girl, was sealed in the apartment with them. And she strikes Pablo's camera, disabling the spotlight. Through night vision, Pablo sees the grotesque Meridios girl in the darkness before he is tackled and killed by her. Just before the night vision lens captures Angela being dragged into the darkness. Dun, dun. Is Ma- Meridios her name or like I a word so. for like infected or something like that? I'm pretty sure. I don't know, actually. I think maybe that, that could be. Uh, I think it's her last name. Oh, that would um, make sense. From the articles, I think. That was a nice synopsis. Yeah, that was really good. Thank you, Sharky. If any listeners want to submit a synopsis to our next film that we're doing. Either written or audio, you can email it to drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. Hit me with that trailer audio. Wait, really? I hated it. Oh, you liked it? It was interesting because it wasn't a lot of it wasn't from the movie. Yeah. It was done as if like just the firemen went in there and found nobody but the girl. Yeah. But I don't know. I can't pinpoint what I didn't like about it. It felt slow. It didn't. I feel like it didn't give the movie justice. It kind of felt like its own short film, to be honest. And they kind of framed it as if the movie was actually an event that had happened. Yeah. Like, it's like, obviously this thing happened. You remember Well, we found footage from that thing that had happened. It's very like, it goes on the paranormal activity style of like, this is a real event. Yeah. Or like, uh, which is found footage. So. Yeah. Or the way that like Blair, Witch was filmed and then people believed that it was real for the longest time. Yeah. But we don't get to see Angela. Well, you kind of see her at the end getting dragged yeah. away. <laughs> but, um, there's no like, rapport of her character who she is which she's like my favorite part of the movie so i kind of like that as a trailer though because that is the ultimate that trailer that we just watched was the ultimate like feel of the movie without giving anything away yeah like it's like go to the movie theater and you are going to see a what did they say real-time experience immersive horror movie yeah but it's also like it didn't show me anything to really be scared by it made it seem boring it made if I saw that and I didn't know what the movie was, I wouldn't be like, "Oh, Kelly, let's go see Wreck." Huh? I completely disagree. Wow. Yeah, like that made me feel like what Paranormal Activity probably advertised it as is like, "Come watch this couple die." Like, come watch as they get possessed and then die eventually. And then this one is like, "Hey, there was an actual outbreak in Barcelona." Come watch as these firemen get attacked by all the infected people that they went to go rescue. Yeah. Which I think was really interesting. And I like slow paced horror like that. It like it suggested. Hmm. Yeah, I liked it. Plus, the camera work was steadier than Not the actual shaky. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Are we ready to dive into some thoughts? Yes. Do you have any thoughts? I do. One of these episodes, someone's going to say no, and it's going to just be a really short episode. Yeah, we just have a drink. We watch the trailer. Eh, the end. Do you have any thoughts? No, not really. All right. (laughs) 
Cool podcast. Yeah, really short and sweet. Uh, so the first thing that I want to talk about is the display of gendered power dynamics, Ooh, which sounds very, uh, what's the word? Pretentious. Pretentious. Yeah. It was the only way that I could word how I was feeling, which I said we had already seen this film. So this was one of the times rewatching it where we kind of like gave comments as we were going. Yeah. And I thought that it was really cool how we saw all the women in this movie be in like very low status positions. Like Angela's the reporter of the show. So she has that kind of power element. But when she's either in the fire hall with the men, they're kind of like guests there. Yeah. And then as they go on a call with the firemen to this building, there's a few people who are set as in charge, not Angela. All the older policemen. Yeah. And the young policemen. (laughs) (laughs) And then as that goes on, we see like as chaos ensues, the women are like trying to get more power because because everyone basically has to fight for themselves in this. And then the men who have the power are desperately clinging on to it. <laughs> like the young policeman's like, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. Yeah. In the in the like, uh, what's it called? Like he actually genuinely believed that he was in, in control of the situation, mm-hmm. even when Clearly everyone in the building lost control. He's like, no, 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 I'm in charge of this situation. I know what's going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to maintain his power and being in charge, he decides to pull his weapon on innocent civilians. Yeah, just trying to escape. <sighs> um, Which was awful. But yeah, so there's like a lot of women. I mean, every woman in wreck has to fight for their power at some point. So there's like Angela with the policeman. There's the little old woman with her husband. Yeah. Who like, they're both cute and like, our typical old, like what you'd, bickering old couple like caricature. Yeah. Of an older couple. But the husband has like no idea what their apartment number even <laughs> is. And she does, but still he belittles her in like a fun way, but still um, in a fun way where it's like, no, 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 this is what happened. And she's like, no, you idiot. Yeah. This is what happened. <laughs> he's like, oh, well, you know, whatever. It's probably this happening anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the mom who has her daughter and the policeman, who she's wrong. She keeps saying like, she just has tonsillitis or whatever, but that's still interesting to see. And then there's also the Chinese resident, the young Chinese lady who has an altercation with the firefighter and also with the hysterical mom. Who's like Mm -hmm. that moment. Was it charred (laughs) when the Asian woman is talking uh, to, I forget now she's talking to like the policeman or a firefighter or something. And then the mom calls her out on something, which brings her attention to her. And then as she's trying to explain through what we can assume is a bit broken Spanish, the mom just completely goes, I can't understand you. Sorry. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of racism in this movie directed because much like COVID, everything was being blamed on the Chinese people in this movie. The, and it had nothing to do with them. Yeah, because she kept saying like her dad was up in their apartment and he was sick because he was like uh, paralytic. An elderly, yeah, yeah, paralytic man. And they needed to go up and get him. And then everyone was like, oh, he's sick. He's sick. This is how it all started because of that Chinese man up there. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with that. And then the like the gre- the greasy old man is like being super racist. And he's like, OK, let me know when we're going to record. And it's like, we have been recording. And he's like, what? What? Oh, I'm so shiny. Not that I've been being racist. It's I'm, I don't look shiny. Yes, I need to change my seating position so that you can look at me from this angle. And even him, he like fought for a position of power where he was like, we need to get to my or we need to get to the doctor's apartment and grab the keys. And then he was very much like trying to be like, we're going to go here. We're going to go here and we're going to escape. And like, mm-hmm. 
and then trying to be a leader yeah and failing yeah i feel like pablo was really the only one that he was like the only guy that would take direction yeah and actually get shit done by being a not even like a second in command or whatever like just being where he was needed Mm -hmm. and not having an ego which is interesting because that's his job (laughs) and it's almost like we're pablo so the only the only male character in the movie is us and we're we take direction very good thank you very much wink (laughs) my next thing that i wanted to talk about is the level of fear that i felt Mm. which was interesting because what level was it like it was pretty high 10 11 (laughs) um if i had to put a number to it i mean it definitely fluctuates as the film goes on but it's a very linear story Yeah, we were talking about that as we watched it, too. Like there's such a sense of building of tension and the fear factor as it goes. Oh, that's a terrible show. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But as each element gets added to the plot, it adds to the tension until we just can't bear it when we get to the final apartment scene. Uh, Yeah. And Angela's just like broken. Yeah. She can't pull it together at all. And we empathize with her because we've been rooting for her this entire time. And it's just so good. I can't get over how good it was. Yeah, there's so, a shot where they're like looking down the stairs and you can see all of the s- residents. Yes. Screaming up at the camera. And it's like, well, at that point, you just have no hope. Like that's all hope is gone. Even yes. even the one guy that was on your side, like the strong firefighter, he's at the top of the stairs and you can see he, he's turned. And it's like, well, we're all fucked now. Yeah. I love that you pointed that out because that's literally my next line that I had written. I really like the moment where they look down and see all the zombies on the stairs. It's so good. Such a great moment moment and i think that's really the time as you said like they have no more hope left yeah and that's when i was at my most fearful i would say even though i've already seen this movie and i know how it ends and blah 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 it did such a good job of taking you on the journey that i think i would say i was at like an eight out of ten when they looked down the stairs yeah and then like all the way after that even like in the apartment as she's exploring everything uh all the articles and stuff well that's a good moment too because you should technically feel less afraid but it's a new area and it's a very weird area yeah and they've never felt safe before in the movie so why why feel safe now and then they scare us with the child that somehow is up there like a little boy yeah i really hope that that wasn't like the child of the possessed girl Oh, like somehow she had gotten pregnant or something like that. And part of the experiment was like, like part of experimenting for a cure was to like make another one through birth and then test it. Or it was just another kid that uh, somehow got up there. It wasn't very clear or got captured. I don't know. Yeah. And then they have the final reveal of the creature, too, Mm -hmm. which was also very scary. Yeah. The prosthetics on that creature was very good. Yeah. And that's when we saw boobs. We did. That's the only time we saw boobs. Yeah. Yeah. And they're fake. Just very, very ugly, very just like <laughs> starved boobs. Yep. Yes. Still technically boobs, though. Yep. Yes. As we diligently keep track of on this <laughs> feminist podcast. <laughs> um, and my last thing that I wanted to talk about and shine a light on is how great of a final girl Angela is. And it's not really like the typical slasher trope final girl Like she gains all the power in the end. Yeah. And that um, she is very innocent, although she sort of is like she starts out in like pigtails. Oh, wait. Yeah. She starts out in pigtails, uh, which makes her like very young and approachable. We see how she like has this nice relationship with her cameraman and how she feels kind of like 
klutzy sometimes, but then yeah. she takes her power whenever she's actually filming on camera. I like that they also, between takes, you could see that she's kind of like a dork a little bit. Yeah. And it made you sort of feel like she's the like girl next door type of character, mm-hmm. which is very much the character you want to root for in a horror movie. Yeah. And as the movie goes on, she gains more and more power by being the reporter that has this scoop. Mm-hmm. But it's like her show, uh, like the while you're asleep show is like a fluff. Piece yeah. It's for basically like, like a, uh, Local access or whatever. Yeah. Public access TV show. And while they're on a run for this show, she still takes her job seriously, which is great. But then as this chaos starts to happen, even before it's a huge deal, just when they got called there and they actually got to go out on a run, she starts interviewing all of the, uh, not respondents. Receptionists. She tries to interview a receptionist. Oh, that's at like the fire hall. But then like at the actual apartment, she's interviewing all the residents. That's the word I was looking for. (laughs) Just about what is could be going on. And then as it becomes more dangerous, she still is doing that reporter job. And she people are telling her to stop filming and she secretly tells Pablo to keep going. Well, she even tells the cops like people need to know what's going on here. Exactly, I love that. Like even if we don't make it, people need to know. So we need to record what's happening. So she just stays strong to her morals and her job. And she makes very quick survival decisions that help the group for a long time until the end. But we don't even know if she dies because she just got pulled by the monster. She could have somehow escaped. We'll have to watch Wreck 2. Yeah. But yeah, she's like kind. She's smart. She's badass. I like that 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 she's a good final girl. They could have so easily made her like the like very straight laced reporter girl. Like I am reporting from the scene here, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But the fact that she feels like a, all like a whole encompassing person makes it a lot like you are rooting for her much more. Yeah. And yeah. I really liked her character. That's it. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This episode of drinking and screaming is brought to you by the woods spirit co who provided us with the Amaro used in today's episodes. A bitter liqueur that is distilled with grand fur. Trees in this shit. That's cool. <laughs> Grapefruit, rhubarb, no wonder I loved it, and bitter orange. Their bottle tells us that they combine scientific distilling methods, locally discovered ingredients, and unbounded curiosity to create spirits ingrained in the outdoors. I've told you this before, but they're the guys that told me that they individually distill each of their ingredients and then bring them together so yeah. they can like they can fine-tune the distilling process for each ingredient depending on how it needs to be distilled. Yeah. It's, it's rad. And also he says it takes a long time but it does make a great drink. I was going to say something else. Oh, yes. Also, Amaro is Italian. And as far as I know from my grandfather, Italian and Spanish are the exact same language. So it's basically on brand. (laughs) Nice. Also, uh, considering the theme of this movie uh, and talking about uh, the quarantine that is currently going on, make sure that you stay home. Don't go visit your friends or family. Don't go out unless you really have to. I had to go grocery shopping. Yeah. I had to go grocery shopping and it was very terrifying. It was like walking out to get supplies during a zombie movie. Uh, Wash your hands. Don't touch your face. And we can all get through this together. It'll be faster if we just stay the fuck home. Watch horror movies. Play (laughs) play games and listen to podcasts. Podcasts. You know, them's podcasts there. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. And you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. The best way to help us grow is to spread us to your friends. 
Just like the plague. But at a distance. So send them links to our episodes. Tell your family about us. Tell your elderly grandfather. That's the best thing you can give your elderly grandfather is an episode of our podcast. (laughs) Explain to him how to play a podcast and then what a podcast is. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Speaking of friends, we are very bumping on the Discord right now. It's a great way to keep in touch with friends and the community when you have to socially isolate. We're really lucky because we're together. We live together, so... And we have a cat. And if I was alone this whole time, that would really suck. And I'd be okay. (laughs) (laughs) But missing your friends is a huge thing, uh, having to be socially distant. So if you need some friends, if you want to have some good times... Head on over to our Discord. Bit.ly slash hopped up Discord. Join the conversation. Now back to the episode. Rah! Do you have some thoughts? I do have some thoughts. Uh, my first one is kind of on the same point of like your fear factor point. Yeah. It's that I really like the structure of this movie. Every step of the way, you always have like very clear goals of the characters and like guidelines of things that they can do. And it really makes it feel like, I don't know, this kind of sounds bad for like a creative thing, but it's a very compartmentalized movie. Yeah, but not in a bad way. No. And Mm -hmm. like every scene has a goal, but then they do a really good job of like flipping it where, hey, now you can't accomplish your goal and everything's fucked. So you need to like make up a new one yeah Yeah. so i wrote down a few examples so and they're like in order so it's like oh we need to pacify this woman oh she bit me we need to get me to the hospital oh we're trapped in here (laughs) and then it's like oh uh here's a bunch of options for escape oh getting to them's tricky now because there's like these creatures running around and then it's like well here's where everyone lives um oh, all our our safe spot which is like the textile area area is now being overrun so our one safe spot is now not safe anymore. Uh, So we need to get to those apartments and we know where each person lives. So we know what's going to be in each apartment Mm -hmm. as we go. And then when you get to like the old man's apartment, he's like, oh, the doctor has the keys. And then you got to like think back, okay, which floor did the doctor live in? Which door was he? And we need to get there. Because they already know because they did a roll call at the beginning. Exactly. But then they can't even remember. So they have to figure out how are we going to find out what apartment that is. Just go back downstairs to look at the <laughs> mail room. But as they do, and it's like going with that fear level thing, it's like every time that they come up with a goal, it's almost like they have to go further and further through the apartment. And as they travel mm-hmm. back, they just see how everything's escalating. More and more danger. Yeah. And then sure. finally, it's like, oh, well, we can't go down anymore because we look and we see just the entire place infested. Let's go up. And then for like a moment, they've accomplished their goal and they have nothing else other than to explore and like learn what's actually going on and try to look for finally for an exit. And then fi- one last obstacle comes up and then the movie ends. Yeah. And it's I just really Ugh, like something good. about watching the movie just feels so well organized it's like a video game yeah i was gonna say that for sure i could totally see just like a A wreck video game yeah like an indie horror game that's paced with like objective markers like you could basically have objectives pop up in this movie and it would totally make sense yeah and my second fact is that i really hate how much the camera moves yeah so we brought that up a bit as we watched it it's like i understand what they were going for with like the hectic nature and you have to feel like you're in the moment Mm -hmm. and you would be jostled around and stuff like that. Yeah. But Pablo's like constantly zooming in and out for no reason. And like every time he zooms in, the camera shape gets even even worse. worse. Yeah. Um, Even in like situations where he's not being touched, he's just standing there. Like the camera is shaking so much. 
but I understand like he's tired, so it makes sense from like a immersion level. Yeah, because cameras are huge. Yeah, especially like he had one of the like the over the shoulder ones that had mm-hmm. a light, a microphone, uh, infrared apparently. Yeah. Uh, and but just something about watching it, it just seems like too much shaking and zooming and. I don't know. It kind of took it away, especially during the scene where um, the f- policeman gets his face bit in the very beginning mm-hmm. and they're like walking down the stairs. It's just like zoom in, zoom out, shake, 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 zoom in, shake. Oh, my God, what's going on? Bye. Yeah, which is interesting because that you bring up that specific moment. I didn't include it in the security facts section, but there were a lot of prosthetics on the zombies that we didn't even get to see because of the camera work. Oh, really? Which I thought as we were watching, it was very unclear. And I was like, oh, it's probably because they didn't have great makeup or whatever. And they needed it to be unclear. But they actually put all the time and effort to have really great prosthetics. And And we don't get to see them. Yeah. Which Which is is interesting because I think what makes that one shot where you're looking down the stairwell so impactful is because you get just like, just for a moment, it's such a clear image of everything that's been going on. Yeah. And maybe that's good. Maybe that makes up for the shake. Like th- throughout the movie, you're kind of in a dizzy. And then just that one final beat of like, well, here it is. Are you happy now? Mm. Are you glad you get to look at it now? And you're like, no, <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean ask to. for this. <laughs> I, I mean, I did ask for it, but I didn't want to. Pablo, please start shaking the camera again. <laughs> Yeah, that's my like most negative is the amount of camera shake. And I think this was probably early on in the found footage horror movie genre. Yep, so it has a lot of credit. Yeah. So I guess like they were still establishing what it should look like, like the the visual elements into how much shake is too much shake versus like realism. Yeah. Well, and- they also had the idea of Compared to normal found footage, which is especially lately, like, oh, this is from laptops or, oh, this is from people's phones. Yeah. Or like video camcorders. This is a professional videographer who is always out doing a show that requires them to visit places in the evening. Yeah. So you'd think that he would be better at keeping it stable. I guess they do establish that a lot of their show is just standing and interviewing people. So he's probably used to like standing and framing people. That's true. But I don't know. Some I, I think from an immersion level, it makes sense. But I, th- I we watched the American one like a year ago, I would say. And I think they do a better job at the camera shake. Mm. But it's been a while, so I'd have to see it again. Uh, my next point is that, hey, hey, it's about the American one. It's a very good segue. Yeah. As far as I remember, and again, it's been a bit, this movie was basically shot for shot remade into the American one. Of quarantine? Yeah, like even even down to like the structure of the apartment because they need to get that that shot of the fireman falling down in the middle. Yeah. Um, but like I feel like all of the objectives and all of the scenes were in the same order and all the plot happened the same except for at one point when they're like banging up against the window. I'm pretty sure in quarantine the SWAT team like shoots in at them. Yeah. And, and then they change the ending too. Yeah, and then instead of being a like a, a doctor trying to cure like a disease, it's like someone who's anti-America trying We're to create kill a plague. Everyone. Yeah, yeah. Which I guess is more in line with I don't know America. Yeah, <laughs> America thinks everyone's out, out to get them, so it makes sense that their main problem would be caused by someone who hates that country. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it's interesting. I think it was definitely longer than a year ago uh, because I also would need to rewatch it again. But there are very key moments that like the woman handcuffed. 
yes. uh, at the bottom of the stairs is a really big one that I remember. Obviously, the screaming being pulled back is exactly the same. Yeah. Um, Trying to like spy on the procedure that was happening after yeah. the hazmat guy came in. Yeah, it's all and it's good. The, the remake is good, yeah. too. It's it's basically like a remade translated version of the movie, which is yeah. good. Um, I don't know what my point was other than that. It was interesting watching this movie and quarantine and being like, well, these are basically just like the <laughs> the Spanish version and the American version of the same movie. Yeah. Yeah. And finally. I really like how each character in this movie gets enough screen time and story that you really understand who they are, their motivations, like where they're coming from, um, like little bits of their activities in the apartment. Mm -hmm. And so every time that they kill one of these characters, rather than just being like fodder, like a person that you offhandedly knew about and then they they got killed you actually feel like you're losing a bit of like the story. Yeah. Like we lost the elderly couple. Now we lost the mom whose kid was sick. We lost the doctor who was just an intern. And it's not like, Oh, we have 20 teens and Oh, teen number two died. Oh, team number five died. Yeah. Very different from a slasher movie. Yeah. And it's, I think that's really cool because it is such a isolated structured movie that you basically can like you can envision the entire set in your mind with all these people. And it's like it's literally it just literally feels like they threw an infection into a small group of people and saw what they would do. Yeah. And it feels so real, which it's is really cool. Very interesting how fast the government reacted to this. It's almost like they knew which they did. Which they did. The dog and they t- they traced the dog back to that apartment. So do you think it was just timing it was lucky timing that this was also when the grandma started to get sick like they already were going to quarantine the building or do you think that they heard about the call of the screaming and then they were like oh no a human's infected boom uh it's tough to say because they do radio out that they're going to investigate this woman so they must have already been on high alert about this building because Mm. of the dog and then and the policeman's already in there yeah it's like i'm in charge when the firefighters show up the police are already active. So I would say that it's like the government knows that this building is high risk. They were probably going to send in like a hazmat team to like scour it. Yeah. But then once they realized that someone was already infected and feral, that they need to just shut the whole thing down and and quarantine everyone and wreck everyone. Which is, uh, I think that's exactly how the American one goes as well. Yeah. I'm curious because I've seen the other quarantine movies but I have not seen the other rec movies. Oh, they get much different. Yeah. Cause I know the second one in the American series is the airplane one, yes. which is cool, but it's already more actiony than the first one, I think. Yeah. And then I don't know about rec two. I feel like rec two might still be within the realm of like found footage. I think it's even in the same building. Oh really? Cause the daughter is in it. Oh, the, cool. The like infected daughter is uh, Jennifer yeah. is credited in both the movies. Ooh, I wonder if she's like older. I wonder if it's a second team coming in to clear it out. I don't know. But then Rec Three is like Buck Wild. It's it's like <laughs> Resident Evil. Uh, it goes very weird. Yeah. And then like I, you've seen them though. No, I saw. I remember when Rec Three came out. I saw trailers for it. Okay. And I was like, oh, this series is just about massacring a bunch of zombies or something. 
And you even look at the poster for it and it's like the bride holding this giant chainsaw. She's like covered in blood. There's corpses everywhere around her. (laughs) And then Rec 4 starts to get into like the really later Resident Evil movie style where it's like, I think it's called like called like Rec 4 Resurgence or some garbage like that. And then there was a Rec 5 that came out last year that just based on the pictures alone kind of looks like they went back to form, which would be really interesting to find out. Nice. What we should do is make this the next series that we just sit down and watch all the way through. <gasps> just the two of us. For, you know, quarantine time. True. Because huh. I haven't seen all the quarantines either. I saw two with you for the first time. Yeah. And then I think they also have quite a few of them. Yeah. All right. Let's do that. Yeah. Let's just do that. We don't even have to watch them for the show or for the podcast. Eventually we might. Tell us if you want us to go through the rest of the rec <laughs> I mean, we'll run out of movies eventually. <laughs> Will we? I don't think so. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's time for... Da-da-da! Scaredy Facts. This is a part of our podcast where we invite you into our own little tiny relationship that we have. Little tiny? What? I don't know. You don't. You think our relationship is tiny? It's. Cu- I mean, in like. Do you mean the you cuteness. take them? You take. They make you take them into a little part of our big heartfelt relationship. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for wording that better. Um. But whenever Kelly and I watch horror movies in our real lives, uh, we like to snuggle up either on the couch or in bed, and we read off IMDb trivia facts, interviews. To get us out of the mood of horror movies so we can go to sleep. Yeah, because sometimes I get really scared. Yes. Which is interesting because I don't consider myself a scaredy cat, but I do need to have some downtime. What about a scaredy fact? I am definitely a scaredy fact (laughs) connoisseur. Oh. Aha. Uh, But yeah, so I did the scaredy facts for this movie and it starts out with the budget, which is an estimated two million US dollars. Not bad. And worldwide gross was 32 million. Wow. 32.5. That makes million. sense. I f- if, especially if they're like the progenitor to uh, found footage action horror movies. Yeah. It's like Blair Witch obviously gets the main credit for that. But then another one after that is this movie and Paranormal Activity. Yeah. I think this one definitely is like action horror, whereas like mm-hmm. Blair Witch is like psychological horror. Yeah. True. So uh, number one. The actors were never given the script in its entirety, so none of them knew of their characters' fates. Classic. Sometimes not until the day they were actually filming their scenes, even. So the movie uh, was also filmed chronologically, which definitely helped with the building of the stakes and the tension, which we totally felt as an audience. So that was cool. But the actors got to experience that themselves because they were stressed and nervous and apprehensive on the day of filming these things. So they didn't really know what was going on. Couldn't really prepare for it. Which is ideal qualities for the film itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, something that I thought was really cool was that with the exception of Alex and Manu, who are the two firefighters that we follow on the TV show that's being filmed, all the rest of the firefighters in the movie, like the diner scene, mm-hmm. are all real firefighters. I think I remember that fact. I, as we were watching that scene, I'm like, I remember reading the facts for this movie after it. And I remember that one specifically. Yeah, so that's really cool. OK, speaking of Alex, at around 18 minutes while filming the scene where Alex falls from the stairs, not a single actor knew that that was going to happen. Nice. So everybody was actually terrified. All the reactions were real reactions from the actors themselves. 
the policeman is the one that's like, everybody, we need you over here. And he, they like get. So pushed. was he the one that knew? Yeah. Oh, clear. And everybody else. Had so I was no like, idea. someone has to be a plant so that nobody is standing under that spot. Yeah. That's really cool. That's like alien quality yes. of uh, shocking the actors. Yeah. Which is in this season. We're doing alien sick. So let's leave that little scary fact for <laughs> if they don't oh, know. Everyone knows that one. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> Suspense. <laughs> uh, also, speaking of actors, though, when it came to casting, the directors deliberately chose actors who were not well known to help make the piece more realistic, which is something that we is typical for yeah. found footage movies. You don't want to be like, that's Ben Affleck, whatever. Especially the first one. I feel like later on you can't get away with that. Yeah. Which is funny because as a child, as like a tween, when movies are like, this is based on real events or like, this is real. I'm like, it can't really be real. But there's something in you that is like, is it though? Because it said it is. Oh, like I could, like I said before, I couldn't watch Paranormal Activity because the, all the trailers were, this is a real thing that happened. Yeah. And it was like, oh, if I think of a ghost, it's going to show up. Fuck. Even oh, like no. The Strangers, as I everyone knows, listeners of this podcast, <laughs> is my all time favorite horror movie. Um, but that scared me so much because it was it wasn't that it was real, but that it was based on a real story. Yeah. But yeah. it's not even actually based on a real story. Based it's like loosely, yeah. loosely, loosely <laughs> referencing. But even in the credits, it says like this is fictitious, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Which is funny. Oh, yeah. So they uh, they chose people, actors who are not very well known, but they also chose actors who were very good at improvisation. Um, and to go even further with this though, Manuela Velasco is really a TV presenter in her, uh, native oh. country of Spain. So that like adds to the realism. Yeah, there was, uh, I was going to mention something, but it kind of seemed like a dumb thing to say, but she was, when she was like listing off to the camera, what had been happening at that during that night. Yeah. She did it in such like a very, well put together, thoughtful way of speaking. And then I'm, in my mind, I'm like, she's an actor. That's that's a dumb thing for me to point out. But that's I guess that's why, because she was a real TV. Yeah. Uh, presenter? TV presenter. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the directors originally toyed with the idea of having the TV camera crew shadow some policemen instead of the firefighters. But they ended up switching their idea and doubling down on the firemen instead because they tend to be more popular and yeah. accepted. Because all cops are bastards. Public. Yeah. <laughs> Especially following 9-11 and yeah. all that. I think firemen always have had that like. They're heroes. They're yeah. They're like the supermen. They're, they're like, save my cat, shiny American. Like they're the heroes. Yeah. Of the, and cops are 50-50. <laughs> depending, on who, depending on who you ask. Oh, I see. Yeah. Not 50% good. 50% no. Bad. I feel like both people that are <laughs> like nationalists. And people that aren't still think that firemen are fucking dope. Yeah, I agree. I have a very high. Uh, they also don't carry guns. So mm. <laughs> 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 we're very anti-gun on this podcast. <laughs> Anti-cop in case that wasn't clear. Um, What's another good one? Ooh, uh, at around 10 minutes, Jennifer can be seen holding a camera in the hall. So according to the directors, Claudia Silva, who plays the little girl, Jennifer, was actually filming, but her footage didn't end up making it into the oh. final cut of the film. So the plan was to like splice Have in some stuff. Yeah, cool. that would have been good, too, because she would probably get into places that Pablo didn't mm -hmm. and see things because people would trust a kid. And we can also probably have gotten more of the her changing before it yeah. ultimately happens, which would have maybe been cool to see. Although it's nice to get that final surprise. too. Yeah. 
We did get a bit of her perspective when she was playing with Pablo's camera. And we could see all of her like cracked lips and stuff. That was intense. It's just tonsillitis. But obviously not, mom. (laughs) The building where the film was shot is the, I'm going to butcher this, Sedimatexa? Sedimatexa building. Rambla de Catula. Oh my God. Rambla (laughs) de Catalunya. 34. Wow, you said that very French. Sorry. Rambla de. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, I guess it would be de. At the Exemple district in Barcelona. It was assaulted by a group of teens in 2007 after the film became a hit. Oh, stupid Uh, teens. They're almost as bad as cops. (laughs) (laughs) Javier Bote plays the infected woman in the upper apartment at the end of the film. And you've talked about him before. He's the guy that plays Mama. Um, from the movie Mama. But yeah, this fun fact is just all of a bunch of the roles that we know him from. So he's notably the key monster in Insidious, the last key that yes. has the keys for the hands. Mama and Mama, Melisandre, when she's revealed as her true form in Game of Thrones, like the white haired version of her. Yes. The hobo in the It remake, It oh, yeah. number one. Or it chapter one, the crooked man in the conjuring two. Yes. There's like a long list. I believe he's also all of the ghosts in crimson peak, which we've just watched. I think it might be somebody else. Okay. Cause I know there's basically two, there's two actors. Guys, yeah. yeah. The ones in, actually the ones in crimson peak might be the guy that also plays, um, the fishman in shape of water. Yeah. I think maybe, that's right. Maybe now that I think about it, cause I was talking to you about this. I think del Toro always works with the guy who did like fuck in Hellboy, the like, fish guy in the helmet. I forget what his name was. And then the shape of water. He always does like del Toro's gangly monsters. Okay. And then I think this guy is like all the other gangly monsters. Right. He Del Toro did do mama though. That's true. Which this actor was the Wait, creature in that. Uh, my last fact is funny because you mentioned that this felt like a video game because wreck was the major inspiration for the first person survival horror game outlast. Nice. That makes sense. Which is uh, kind of not the best. It's kind of problematic. Yeah, because that video game really puts a lot. It takes the bad trope of like. Insane asylums are full of crazy people and monsters. Yeah. Yeah. I hate that trope. Yeah. David Cage loves that trope. And I hate (laughs) David Cage. (laughs) But I thought that it was cool that Wreck was able to inspire such a popular Horror game. Which is interesting, too, because I feel like Outlast also inspired a lot of first-person horror games. Yeah. So it, it kind of just, like, was this domino effect of, like, Wreck inspired Outlast. Outlast inspired a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Although I still feel that um, there was the Slenderman game, you know, Mr. Slenderman. Yes. Which I think was before Outlast and kind of started the ball rolling on the, the found footage horror. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is funny you mentioned that because... Javier Bote played the Slenderman in the Slenderman movie. Mr. Slenderman? Yep. John Slenderman? Yep. Nice. (laughs) Tell me your final thought. Um, I don't know. I feel like a lot of my thoughts throughout this episode have been my final thoughts. Like it's a, it's a video game ass movie that I really love and it's timeless, which also sounds pretty pretentious. It's one of those movies where I feel like you could show to almost anybody that's a horror fan and hasn't seen it or like interested in horror and they'll enjoy the hell out of it. There's, Almost no downside other than if you get motion sick from the camera movement. Right. Which is funny because I do get motion sick easily, but I did not from the camera movement. Yeah. So you'd be good. But um, yeah, it's just a really solid ass movie. And I'm, I love found footage. And I think this is a, it's, it's a found footage ass movie. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Mine. I know that we don't make our podcast something that you should listen to 
uh, in order. It's just like a pick and choose type of thing. But this directly relates to 28 Days Later, our episode, uh, our previous episode, because in that episode, I kept saying that what I look for in a zombie movie is high stakes and strong relationships and seeing how those relationships go through uh, the trauma that is the zombie apocalypse or whatever. But this is a fucking great movie and it barely had any relationships at all. <laughs> so I think I just didn't love 28 Days Later. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if it's to do with the timeline. Yeah, because it... Cause oh, you, what do you mean? Like you love Train to Busan, which happens in like a couple hours. Oh, you yeah. don't like 28 day, Days Later, which happens over the course of like a week or so. You love this movie, which is it's, a, few it's a few hours, but they jump ahead. It's like what happens when people are introduced to an event and then don't have time to deal with it. That's true. Cargo, though. Well, it's still the timeline is still short, but it's far in advance. That's also, I would say, a better crafted movie. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's crafted in a way that it survives as a movie movie, like I a drama. That, then. Yeah. But the tension we're in, as a viewer, we're super invested in Angela's survival. The it's really well built and ramping up to that big finale. That's true. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I love this movie. And again, it's just another zombie movie that I really love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's been Wreck, a movie about the proper way to quarantine. Stay yeah. inside. I'm sure they washed their hands at some point. They did. The doctor washed his hands. Ha ah, yeah. it fits. <laughs> Next week, we'll be celebrating April Fool's on April 6th, not on April 6th. Ah, joke's on you. <laughs> but we'll be watching Scary Movie from 2000 with the amazing Rosemary's Ladies, which beep, is beep, beep, uh, another horror movie podcast that we adore. And this is the first episode that we've recorded ahead of time. And I can tell you, it's quite good. Yes, we can already tell you right now that it's number one. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah! Bye!